When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's morning, noon, or evening, whether at home or at a restaurant. I just love to indulge in pancakes and eggs and sausage and bacon and all the fixins. You know, I have to believe it goes back to my childhood and to my dad. Growing up in western New York, my dad and I would often get up early and he would cook breakfast. And then we would go hunting or we would cut trees or for most of the year we'd shovel snow. But once a year we took a special canoe trip. You know, there in the Finger Lake regions of western New York or the Allegheny regions of northern Pennsylvania, there are some beautiful undeveloped lakes. And we would take the canoe and we'd travel several miles and then we'd pitch a camp, set up a tent, and we'd go fishing. We'd come back and start a campfire and then we'd wake up the next morning and we'd cook breakfast and we'd sit and talk along the shore. I have so many great memories of my dad and so many lessons learned, so many memories shared. He and I have enjoyed so many special times camping together through the years. Well, it was a breakfast meeting on the shore that is the context for our scripture lesson today. Following the resurrection, the disciples had gone back to what they knew best, fishing. You see, it was just a few days earlier that Peter had denied Jesus three times on the way to the cross. Do you know that it's interesting that there are no recorded instances in the Bible where the disciples actually caught fish without Jesus' assistance? <laughs> you know, it's no different that night. When Jesus finally came along, the Bible tells us they caught 153 fish. And then they'd gather there on the beach and they'd cook breakfast and as they did, they sat and visited. In this final book of John, we discovered that after the eating was over, Jesus and Peter had unfinished business to attend to. You know, Jesus had called Peter as one of the very first disciples, but they'd had such a rocky and tumultuous relationship along the way. Peter was gregarious and confident and so determined but he was also so prone to mistakes, and he wasn't very dependable. It was Peter who would try to walk to Jesus on the water, and he would sink due to his doubt. It was Peter who always seemed to be inserting his foot into his mouth. It was Peter who was rash and impetuous, and who cut off the ear of a soldier there at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wanted Peter to be the rock upon which he'd build the church, but Peter let down Jesus so many, many times. I think that's why we can all relate to Peter. Peter experienced guilt 
and doubt, embarrassment and shame, denial, and sometimes just the desire to run away and hide. You know, I can only imagine the awkwardness that Peter must have felt that day as he came to breakfast for the first time with the risen Christ. But as he does over and over throughout the scriptures, Jesus surprises us. He doesn't add salt to Peter's wounds or rub his nose in his shame. But Jesus lovingly confronts with a question. Do you love me? It's such a simple question, and yet such a complicated response. Love always is simple and complicated. For Peter came face to face with one of the biggest mistakes that he had ever made. And Jesus offered the opportunity for forgiveness and freedom, for restoration and reconciliation. Today I want to continue our sermon series entitled, Questions. What does Christ ask of us? Did you know that in the Bible there are at least 307 different questions that Jesus asked? He asked questions of the rich and he asked questions of the poor. He asked questions which were simple, but others that were so complex. He asked questions that he would give the answers to and others that he left the disciples to figure out for themselves. And I believe these questions provide a framework for us still today, a framework for our own spiritual growth. How can we draw closer to God and closer to one another? This interaction between Jesus and Peter is is a model, an example for us to follow in our relationships with God and with our neighbors. You know, regardless of our own successes or failures, our action or our inaction, God's grace is available to every single one of us so that we can be closer to Him. I want to look at three things this morning that I believe transpired in this breakfast meeting between Jesus and Peter. Three things that I think can help us to be growing in our faith today. First of all, Christ's love offers us the opportunity to forgive ourselves. You know, we notice that Peter really didn't start this conversation No, it was the love of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus, that offered Peter the invitation to forgive and to be forgiven. You know, I suspect Peter operated much like you and I do today. We replay our past regrets over and over and over in our minds like a movie trailer. We beat ourselves up. We choose to repeat our past mistakes and failures instead of repenting and turning towards God. But when Jesus said, do you love me? He gave Peter the opportunity, just as he does to us, to forgive ourselves. You know, one of my favorite things about Father's Day weekend is always watching the U.S. Open golf tournament. And as I was reading the news the last few weeks and the run-up to the tournament, I took notice of a story that I found about a young man named Daniel. Daniel was a Canadian-born amateur golfer back in the 1930s. He played at many of the prestigious clubs there in Canada and in the northeast United States. He had a vintage Briscoe, and he would drive his foursome across bumpy roads to get to just about any golf course. One particular day, he was playing at winged foot, and he got to the first tee, set down his ball, hit it, and it sliced far to the right and out of bounds. 
Well, he began grumbling and complaining about this and telling his friends, well, it was the bumpy road and the car, and I was nervous and numb. They were a little puzzled by all this because then he set down another ball, hit that ball, and put it in the center of the fairway. And his partner said, what in the world are you doing? And Daniel said, I'm taking a correction shot. (laughs) They were not amused. And they thought about it throughout the entire round until they got to the clubhouse and they were sitting there trying to figure out the score for the day. And one of his partners said to Daniel, well, what exactly do you call that shot back on the first tee? And Daniel Bernard Mulligan said, let's call it a mulligan. (laughs) And so began the long tradition of amateur golfers allowing ourselves to take a mulligan on the first tee. It's not in the rules of golf. And, you know, we tease and laugh about needing a mulligan along the way. But I don't think we should ever underestimate the power of a second chance, a chance to do it over, a chance to get it right, a chance to evaluate and to turn and make a different decision. Sometimes we need to take a correction shot. Jesus knew that Peter needed another chance, and we do too. When we come to terms with our own past regrets and mistakes, we move into a deeper relationship with God that allows us to make the right decisions in our lives so that we can move forward and look towards the future. When we move beyond the shame or the embarrassment or the denial or the guilt, God opens up a world before us so that we can live in his love. That's exactly what happened to Kate Winya. Kate was the 2017 amateur state high school golfing champion in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. She was very popular with her friends and She's already committed to a college golf program. But it was just about two weeks ago now that she was playing in her senior year for another state golf championship. And she would come down to the end and she would finish in first place. She was thrilled that she and her team would go home as the 2018 state champions. But after she had signed her scorecard, she was walking through the gallery and she looked up at the public scoreboard and she noticed a discrepancy. She realized that she had written down a four when she had actually hit a five on the 18th hole. Now, one shot would not have changed the outcome of the tournament. But Kate knew it was not right. And so she went to her coach, and she told him what had happened. After discussion, she self-reported to the tournament officials, and she was disqualified. She would lose her first place trophy, and her team would lose first place as well. I mean, what a tragic turn of events. How incredibly disappointing. Even her opponents were so sad over what had happened. Well, that night, Kate got home, and she went on Twitter, and she said, Obviously, today didn't go as planned. But God always has a plan And he works through rough situations for his glory. I'm so incredibly blessed to play golf. Thanks for all your love and support. Well, as you can imagine, her story made the news. And she was interviewed by the local news anchor later that week. And he said, you know, you chose character and integrity. 
And it was so interesting to hear what she would say. She said, I'm going to be honest, when the Holy Spirit pushes you, and I definitely felt that in my heart, I knew that I couldn't leave there without saying anything, because that's not who I am. Well, Jack Nicholas noticed. Others noticed. It was all over the Golf Channel, and I mean, she's had so much recognition for doing the right thing. But you know, as I was looking at Kate's Twitter feed, it was six months ago that she made two fascinating posts. In the first one, she tweeted, God's grace is greater than your biggest regret. In the second, she posted the words to one of her favorite songs, A thousand times I have failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. In the moment when Kate made one of the biggest mistakes of her young career, she was already grounded in Christ. And so she knew what to do. She chose the right thing. And then she forgave herself and looked toward the future. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I think if God forgives us, then we must forgive ourselves. For otherwise, we are setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than him. Like Peter, I think we have to recognize that when Jesus says, do you love me? It's God alone that can offer us forgiveness and healing and hope for the future. God is the one who brings reconciliation and restoration so that we can move forward in our lives. You know, I've known far too many people who refused to experience the freedom of forgiveness. But the psalmist wrote that God would remove our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And the prophet Isaiah said that God would blot out our transgressions and sins and remember them no more. When we learn to forgive ourselves and to move beyond the mistakes of our lives, we live in a way that reflects God's grace and kindness towards us. And so second, Christ's love demands the greatest responsibility in our lives. You know, in some ways, Peter's response to Jesus almost seems indignant. You know that I love you, Jesus. I mean, it must have almost seemed unfair or annoying that Jesus would come and question Peter's love. But Jesus looked beyond the surface, and Peter, he knew Peter's heart. When he did, his question demanded a response. Because of Jesus' unconditional love for Peter, he said, Feed my sheep. Take care of the lambs. Jesus wanted Peter to put love into action. You know, when Jesus first came to Simon, the son of John, he said, You were born and you were raised as Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And on this rock I will build the church. And Jesus would spend the next three years transforming Peter's life to give him a hope and a future. You may remember the classic story of the Methodist who was living there in Philadelphia, and for Father's Day, he received a brand new charcoal grill. He absolutely loved to cook hamburgers and steaks for his family and friends, but living in a good Catholic neighborhood, this was quite annoying to all of his Catholic friends who did not eat red meat on Fridays. 
And so they went over to his home and they suggested that maybe he should be converted. They took him down to the Catholic Church and he went through some classes and finally he was baptized. And the priest said, you were born a Methodist, you were raised a Methodist, but now you're a Catholic. Well, his Catholic friends were quite relieved by this and they went home to their homes. But the next Friday night, they noticed that there was this smell of hamburgers and steak wafting throughout the neighborhood. And so they went over to confront their friend, and they said, what in the world are you doing? And they found him at his charcoal grill, and he was there chanting, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, but now you are a fish. (laughs) Peter's life was transformed by the love of Jesus. Simon Peter the fisherman, Jesus knew his heart and knew that Peter was going to be instrumental in building the church. Friends, when the love of God reaches deep down inside us, it changes us from the inside out. It challenges and it inspires us to take responsibility in our lives to put love into action. You know, on this Father's Day, I hope that each and every one of us will take time to simply say thanks to our dads, to call our grandfathers or the other special men in our lives who have taken responsibility to show God's love in a very tangible way. You know, I recognize that not everyone has a relationship with a father or with a child, but I've got to tell you, as a father, I've found that love is the greatest motivator towards action. Love motivates me to take care of my wife and my children, to seek their comfort and their safety and their connection with God. You know, we live in a world that is so filled with fear. And fear will hold us back from doing the right thing. When we're afraid of the uncertain or the unknown, when our fear is based in insecurity, when we're afraid of loss or or injury, Fear can often feel like a powerful motivator, but very seldom will it lead us to do the right thing. No, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that it's the love of Christ that compels us. And later in 1 John, it says, love drives out fear. The reality is that when we put love into action, we're motivated not from fear, But we're motivated from the deepest and innermost part of our spirit where God is speaking to us and helping us to do the right thing. When we put our families first, when we put the children in our church and community first, when we seek to bless those who are less fortunate or those who are vulnerable, we're putting God's love into action. And when we do so, we're answering the question that Jesus asks of us, do you love me? by feeding his sheep, by taking care of his lambs. You may remember that when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is how you will know that you are my disciples. And many years later, Peter would write, above all, love each other deeply, for love covers over a multitude of sins. It was Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the two who founded our our Methodist movement. 
who was a very shy and reserved man and even tried to run and hide from what he felt God was calling him to do. He was a gifted speaker and a a wonderful songwriter, but he really wrestled with his responsibility and, and this sense of needing to do what God wanted him to, but shying away from it. Well, through prayer and through the witness of other people, he finally came to understand that it was because of God's love that he was called to go out and serve. And he would remember that in a great hymn that he wrote in the 1700s called, A Charge to Keep I Have. Listen to the words of the second verse. To serve the present age, my calling to fulfill. O may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. Charles would go on to preach to tens of thousands. He would actually write 6,000 songs. But his life was not easy. He and his wife, Sally, they would lose five of their eight children in infancy. They would suffer greatly. And yet his faith in Christ and his commitment to serve would never waver. Because Charles knew that he had a responsibility to put love into action. What action is God asking you to do today in response to his love? You know, as fathers, we have an incredible responsibility to our children to teach them and to train them to encourage them and to inspire them and bless them. If you have no children of your own, there are so many children in our church and community who need someone to be there for them in their time of need. We need men who are willing to be teachers and caregivers, foster parents and mentors. We need men who are willing to stand up in our homes, in our communities, in our businesses, and to show the love of Christ worked out in tangible ways. Dads, today is not only a day to celebrate you, but it's also a day to engage the calling of God upon your life, to put into action what God is asking you to do to bless the lives of others. And you know, today I hope that every single one of us will take just a little time to to call our dads, to say thanks for the way they showed us God's love. Or if your dad is in heaven, I encourage you to take time and tell someone how your dad's legacy continues to bless your life today. Or maybe there's another special man in your life who's taken responsibility to help you be who you are. I hope you'll call him today or drop him a note just to say thank you. And so third, Christ's love requires the greatest sacrifice on earth. You know, Jesus never said that being a disciple would be easy. In fact, the path to discipleship is a road filled with many challenges. For Peter and the disciples, it would be persecution and hardship and even death. Because choosing to follow Jesus often means giving up old ways, and it means letting God mold us and shape us to become the person he wants us to be. But you know, unlike Peter, most of us are not going to be required to sacrifice our life. There are certainly people in the world today who are doing that and will do that, and we're grateful for their sacrifice. But for most of us, the greater challenge is, can we give up our own selfishness in order to do the right thing? When Christ asks the question of us, do you love me? We've got to get honest with ourselves, because we are filled with so many distractions, just like Peter was the busyness of the world around us, a sense of urgency by those in our presence, by the clutter 
and the noise and the trivial and the mundane. You know, over these past few weeks, I've been reading this Wesley Covenant prayer that Bob's asked us to meditate on. We've got copies if you want to pick one up at the Welcome Center, or you can easily go online and read it. But I'll be honest with you, I've really been uncomfortable about some of the things that I've been reading. When Wesley wrote, Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I find myself desiring all the firsts and dreading all the lasts. But the reality is that when we choose to pursue a spiritual life with Christ, when we choose to follow this journey of growing in love and grace with God, we're not guaranteed material success. But what we're pursuing instead are spiritual matters of the heart and of faith. We're taking the difficult road, not always the easy one. And we're choosing to focus our time and our effort and our intention on growing closer to God and closer to one another. You know, over these past few months, our families really enjoyed this movie, The Greatest Showman. You may have seen it. It's a terrific movie. It's Hollywood's version of the story of P.T. Barnum and his circus there in the 1800s. Through the beautiful music, we see all the highs and lows of this really brilliant showman who inspired and captured the imagination and the hearts of people around the globe. But towards the end of the movie, we see the character, P.T. Barnum, is sitting in a bar alone. He's realized that he's spent so much time and effort on the shows and the travel that he's neglected the people that mattered the most in his life, his family and his friends. And he begins to sing a song called, From Now On. Listen to some of the words. A man learns who is there for them when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Years and years I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. And when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. And then the rousing chorus is, and we will come back home, home again. And we will come back home, home again. And we will come back home, home again. You know, as I was looking into this little story, uh, it turns out that it's really not as much the story of P.T. Barnum as it is the story of Hugh Jackman, the leading actor and the, the star of The Greatest Showman. Hugh Jackman was born and raised in Australia. And at the age of eight, his mother left the family. And his father, Chris, would end up taking care of Hugh and his siblings. Hugh would say, my dad is my rock. He's the one that shows me about loyalty and dependability, and he was there day in and day out, no matter what. Well, now, after so much success and so much fame, Hugh has a a wife and two children of his own. But he's really tried to model his family and his work in a spirit of love and never let the fame or the busyness get in the way of focusing on the people who are most important. Several years ago, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he really broke down when he was talking about the advice that his father had given to him. He said, for my dad, it's all about family. It's not about work. And I think that's him living out a sense of regret over spending too much time on his career 
and he doesn't want me to make the same mistake. And so, in his very gentle way, he reminds me, these are the important things. Friends, the sacrifice of our selfishness will lead us to evaluate our situation in life. To make us look a little deeper at how we're spending our time, about where we're spending our resources, about how we're giving and serving others. Because the reality is that no matter how far we stray from God or no matter how much we have hurt others, God's call to us is always, come back home, home again. Is there unfinished business that you need to do today that you need to sit and talk with God about this afternoon? Is there unfinished business that you need to do with your father or a child, with a coworker or a friend? What is it that you need to do in modeling the example of Jesus in his relationship with Peter to receive the gift of reconciliation and freedom? You know, Jesus came to Peter in his own gentle way and lovingly asked the question, do you love me? In doing so, he reminded Peter what is truly important. Are we willing to forgive ourselves, to look beyond the biggest mistakes we've made and see the incredible future that God has before us? Are we willing to take responsibility for caring for others, to do what is right and to bless the children? Are we willing to sacrifice our own needs and wants and desires in order to put God first and to put others first in our lives. Because when we accept that gracious and loving invitation of Christ, when Christ asks of us, do you love me? We can respond by saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And then we can put love into action. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.